1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is designed to be an inspirational thought leadership platform that advances the conversation on living with passion and inspiration and working on purpose. And as I'm committed to helping create a world where people actually want to go to work, the content choices are designed to help equip leaders inside organizations to make work a fulfilling part of life so employees thrive, give their best performance, and want to stay. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. With us today is Dr. Raj Sasodia, an F.W. Olin Distinguished Professor of Global Business and Whole Foods Market Research Scholar in Conscious Capitalism at Babson College. He is the co founder and co chairman of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., and the author of 11 books and over 100 academic articles. Today, we'll be talking about his latest book, The Healing Organization Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. You joined us today from Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Sasodia, welcome to Working on Purpose.
2: Thank you. Uh, Very happy to be with you, Elise.
1: Well, I'm happy to have you today, too, because um, today we're we're pre recording this conversation on January 30th, which is my birthday. So today you are my birthday present.
2: Oh, happy birthday to you.
1: Thank you. You are a wonderful present. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I want to get as much out of you as I possibly can in this time. And I want to say for our listeners' benefit that I discovered you because I am a member here in Dallas of Conscious Capitalism, the group here. And one of the presenters had mentioned you and your various books, and that's how I got to know about you. Um, And, of course, you're all about enlightened business management. Um, And I want to just open our conversation by something that you wrote in your book that really moved me to tears. So let our listeners get to know you a little bit. And you say, I quote, I remember the moment when I found my purpose, or more accurately, when my purpose found me. On June 12, 2005, I was researching stories of how some companies were demonstrating Deep and authentic caring to their customers, employees, communities, and was moved to tears, never prior having had a positive emotional response to to your work before. I realized there is a better way. Not only did I find one, I discovered a bonus to a better way. It wasn't just more caring and humane. It was also far more profitable.
2: Dr. Sasodia, that is just beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, this was in the process of writing the book that eventually became Firms of Endearment how one-class companies profit from passion and purpose. And we indeed discovered a whole different way of being in business that was very different from the traditional narrative that I had been taught in business school, that I was in fact teaching as a business professor, that the only purpose of business is to maximize profits, create shareholder value, and we use all the other uh, stakeholders uh, for that reason. And I found a way of being where it was really about authentically caring for people and their well-being. It was having a purpose in the world separate from profit, leaders who cared about people, who cared about the purpose. It wasn't just about power and money. And cultures where people actually look forward to going to work. And we found that those companies that uh, fit those criteria, which we now refer to as the tenets of conscious capitalism, actually succeed far better in financial terms as well. It was 9 to 1 in the original research that was published in that book over a 10-year period, uh, while they're also creating many other kinds of value and well-being for people. So it's not just that they're squeezing everything out of people. They're actually contributing to people's lives while they're also creating great abundance, financial abundance. So that was a turning point in my life. And as I said, the emotional reaction that I had to those stories I think told me something, you know, that there's, you know, business operates at the level of the head and sometimes emotions, we kind of manipulate people's emotions, but we really don't operate at the level of the heart and the soul. And I think that's what this journey is about. It's about love and it's about purpose. And those are deeper human motivations that we can tap into and achieve. You know, And your work is all about that at least. So I'm very happy to be bringing this to you.
1: Mm, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, yes, and I did, as you know, read your book, Firms of Endearment, and found it incredibly compelling and so incredibly still useful. So much of the world just is is not there yet, Dr. Sasodi. I know you wrote that book many years ago, but uh, the world still needs to catch up. <laughs> so we got to keep we right. got to keep talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our listeners' benefit, who don't know you as as I do, would you just sketch a little bit of your background and of interest and perspectives and various involvements um, that led you and Michael Gelb to write this latest book The Healing Organization?
2: Yeah so I would say that it's the continuation of my journey which really changed trajectories around 2005 and I had that awakening and kind of my purpose found me and that led to Firms of Endearment which led to Conscious Capitalism the movement and ultimately the book and then other books followed the one on the feminization or the rise of feminine values and the need to bring more feminine values into leadership, which is called Shakti Leadership, and then a book called Everybody Matters, as well as a Field Guide. So that evolution of that thinking and just thinking more deeply about these principles and pillars of conscious capitalism ultimately led me to this realization that i had been using healing as an acronym for the qualities of a great purpose stands for heroic and evolving and aligning and loving and inspiring, natural and galvanizing. But as I thought more deeply about that, I realized that there's something more hidden there, that ultimately I believe that the fundamental purpose of business is for us to take care of each other. It's for us to uncover and meet each other's needs. And when you do that, you actually make somebody whole. You you heal them in that dimension when you uncover and meet their real needs. right? And if we operate with that energy, we're actually going to heal them. But we actually don't, for the most part, do that. Business is, for the most part, exploiting opportunities, right? Figuring out how we can make money by using people, using customers and employees and others, right? So the energy behind it is one of using and exploiting rather than serving and taking care of. And that makes all the difference. Because on the surface, it might look the same, but when you have the energy of taking care of and serving, then you actually make people's lives better and you heal them. Otherwise, you actually cause suffering. So that was kind of the insight that said, wow, business can be done in a way that on the surface looks the same, but one way causes suffering and the other way causes joy and healing. You know, how can we explore that idea?
1: Mm, I like it. And to that end, I, I want to share with our listeners what I found to be wonderful audacity in the way in your opening chapter, Dr. Sasodi. Let me read it the, the little short bit here. And then if you could comment on it. You say, I quote Imagine a company whose CEO set out to pay people as much as possible, help communities in distress before FEMA and the Red Cross when there was a disaster, treated your spouse and kids and pets as stakeholders, reduced the company environmental footprint to zero, or made a positive contribution to the ecosystem, was willing to hire 70 million Americans with criminal records and give them a first chance, an opportunity to build a happy life, raise a family and become productive tax-paying citizens and they're more profitable and prosperous than their industry peers. Imagine that. Mm. That sounds like a world I want to live
2: in. <laughs> it sounds utopian but uh, this is really a collection of some of the uh, stories in the book, right? I mean these are all things that the various companies did uh, and all of the companies that we feature in the book are generally more successful than the average company in the industry and by in some cases dramatically so. And that's a big part of our movement to show that we don't have to make a false choice between succeeding in material terms or creating financial abundance and being human and humane and loving and caring. That those two things actually go together. That we don't have to inflict suffering on people and in fact even cause death and and despair among people to make money, in fact quite the opposite. That's a very, very important message because a lot of people can dismiss firms of India, you know, these kinds of works as saying, oh, these are just do-gooders and they don't actually care about making money in the world and uh, they can't ultimately compete and succeed. No, we believe these companies are actually more successful, they are more resilient, they are more competitive, they are stronger. As I said in terms of endeavourment, endearing companies are enduring companies. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that ultimately survive because they have all the stakeholders are emotionally invested in their in their success. Right? So again, it breaks that trade off mentality that we have, you know. So much of life is about the mental models with which we operate and how we think the world works. And we're trying to show that there's actually a different way in which these things can work. Mm-hmm. Business is the ultimate win-win game in the world, but for the most part, we practice it like it's a win-lose game, and every win-lose game ultimately is a lose-lose game. Right? So we need to change that model.
1: Well, I completely agree. I'm with you. I'm one of your. I'm one of your soldiers, Doctor Zasodi. I'm right there with you.
2: Well, in the we trenches. don't like the we don't like the military metaphors of soldiers <laughs> sorry and sorry trenches. Sorry about that. Yes, you're uh, right. You know, but that's a good point though that you uh, uh, raise there because you know, so much of our business way of thinking and language and way of being is actually derived from the military and from conflict, right? If you look at hierarchy and command and control and then strategy, tactics, operations, front lines, headquarters, staff, line, trenches, soldiers, etc., those are all military terms and... The reason is that in the 19th century, when we started to have large companies, the only models that existed were armies, so we kind of borrowed the way of running an army and applied that to running a company. But, you know, business is not war. And business is not about killing and destroying and dominating, right? Business is about serving and taking care of, right, and elevating. So we need different metaphors, and I think we have to watch out when we fall into because it's now deeply ingrained in us to use that language. You well, know?
1: you're right. I just did it, right? I absolutely yeah. just yeah, did it. With, I just demonstrated yeah. it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and to that end, Dr. society, one of the things that I, well, there were many things I found compelling about your book, but you have a way in that one of the earlier chapters here of really presencing just the pervasiveness of business and, and its dominant force in today's life. And I think, could you paint for us a little bit of that picture of both how business really serves us well and wh- how it doesn't today?
2: Yeah, well, you know, in a free society, business, it pretty much uh, impacts, I would say, 90 percent of our lives, right? I mean, governments don't and are not supposed to meet our needs. Businesses are given the opportunity, but also the responsibility to do that, right? So almost everything that happens in our lives is impacted by the way in which businesses operate. And if the business culture is one, of purely, you know, based upon profit maximization, shareholder, you know, that becomes greed and exploitation and using and, and you know, the power and ego and, uh, and and money, that's what it's all about. And that causes many, many kinds of suffering in our lives. You know, we start to look at our fellow citizens really as people to be used and exploited. We start to see what can we get out of them, how can we trick them, how can we squeeze more out of them, you know. One of the realizations that I had along the journey, of writing this book on healing was I needed to heal myself, and I need to actually take time off and go on a variety of different healing experiences—one in the Himalayas, one in the Amazon rainforest, and silent retreat—and working with coaches and all kinds of things. Right? And and some of the realizations that I had is that we need to actually get back to these four things that we have lost sight of: is love, innocence, simplicity, and truth. And, you know, business has gone far away from these things. And that's kind of the insight that I received on one of my uh, silent uh, retreats, is that this is what the world of business has gone away from, and this is what we need to get to. We are operating in the opposite way of all of those words. Without love, and we have lost our innocence, we are exploiting and abusing each other. We have made things overly complex, and we have no commitment to the truth. You know, if we can get back to those things, or embrace those things, I think it will make a tremendous difference.
1: I completely agree. Now I'm wondering I when I was going through your book there and I found you talk about four essential energies that you think are that you say are best embodied in organizations and you, what you just said there I'm wondering if they're if they're connected. I thought I read one to be tough-minded which is the masculine energy, two tender-hearted the feminine energy, three to be wise and connected to our principled wise higher se- selves. And four, being playful and retaining joy. Is, is that related to what you just were talking about, Dr. Susodia?
2: Uh it's, it's connected. I mean, it's not a one-to-one thing, but yeah, this is, a, you know, what I call the, uh, we also, my co-author, and I refer to this as the wise fool of tough love. Mm-hmm. You as one human being simultaneously be wise and foolish and tough and loving. And often we think I mean, we're one of those things or the, you know, two of those things, but not all. We need to be all of those things. And that's what it means to be a whole human. That's what it means to have all the four energies represented in a company, in a society, etc. We need all of them in their healthy manifestations. Right? Because each of them can has a dark side or a toxic side. Right? We can have a hyper-masculine approach, which is domination, aggression, you know, hyper-competition, winning at all costs, results, etc., you know. Um, We can have the hyper feminine, which can become sentimental and needy and dependent. Uh, We can have sort of dogmatic uh, sort of elder energy rather than the wise and loving elder energy. And then we can have sort of the adolescent and and immature child instead of the joyful uh, inner Mm -hmm. child that we're talking about. So again, we need to cultivate the positive aspects of all four of those as leaders and also make them part of the uh, cultures of our companies and our uh, communities.
1: And I I completely agree with that, and I I do that work too to help do that for myself as well. And in fact, you said you you had done some some work for yourself to for your own healing um, this year, um, Dr. sosodia, I I will be doing a 200 kilometer race in Bhutan in May, over six days and stages. So it, you end up running about a marathon a day through through trails and such and villages and we get to stay in monks villages and finish at the monastery on the cliff um, but i'm doing it for very much the same reasons that you did yours and i am trying to cultivate that full being in myself so that i can be of higher service to my clients just just like you're saying so
2: mm.
1: really appreciate very much your message mm.
2: yeah that's that's wonderful
1: Mm-hmm one of the things that I, I to me that your work just makes complete absolute sense um, but I do encounter people that just don't seem to get it but you you do say uh, in your book you say that once someone understands capitalism can evolve to evolve can, can evolve to meet genuine human needs creating value being of service to one another and we can f- fulfill our own self-interest in a much richer deeper way once you know that is possible why would you consider doing anything else and settling for less I completely agree with that but I do encounter people still who don't believe Believe this?
2: Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know it's it's years of conditioning, it's what they were taught, it's a belief system that they hold, and you know, in many cases it has served them individually well. Right? So if you've got a CEO who primarily is motivated by power and money, which by the way I would say the majority of CEOs that are currently CEOs of large companies are primarily motivated by power and money, and the system has served them very well. Right? And uh, so they don't see anything wrong with it, really, despite the fact that there's all this untold suffering that's going on uh, with the employees and the families of their employees and what's happening in the communities and the environment and even their customers' health may be affected. Right? So they don't see it because they don't feel it personally and they don't actually care about those other things. So I think that's a matter of elevating their consciousness, awakening, or maybe in some cases we just need leaders with a different consciousness at the top. If you have a leader who's primarily motivated by money, then that's, you know, they're going to operate the business in a certain way and it's going to end up using and exploiting people. So I think that's really the challenge that we have, you know, that we have to awaken the leaders who are there or we have to have leaders with a different consciousness in place. Because for some people, you know, they say you will see it when you believe it. So if you just don't believe it, you'll never see it. Mm. you will uh, you will argue to the death that yeah this is just not possible if you want to make money you need to focus resolutely on making money make that your primary purpose well, we show that that if you do that, that that actually is harmful you will be less successful over time you know victor frankel taught us that at an individual level
3: mm-hmm.
2: another per- for meaning right
1: yeah yes yes that's another another one of my my major foci as well yeah we- with that, Dr. Sasodia, let's grab our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Raj Sasodia, an F.W. Olin Distinguished Professor of Global Business and, and Whole Foods Market Research Scholar in Conscious Capitalism at Babson College. He's the co-founder and co-chairman of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., and he's the co-author of Conscious Capitalism, Liberating the Heroic Spirit of Business, and Wall Street Journal bestseller, Everybody Matters. He joins us today from Boston, Massachusetts. We've been talking a bit about where his interest came from for this, for this current book. The Healing Organization. After the break, we're going to get to some of the stories that he shares from the book. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Raj Sasodia, the co founder and co chairman of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., and the co author of The Healing Organization Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before we get into the story, Dr. Susodia, I want to say something about um, the conversation that the the business roundtable statement, a purpose that was kicked off last August 2019, and it was really for the listeners who haven't seen this. The idea was that business was to serve all stakeholders, um, and I've been very interested in the the counter arguments that 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 has spurred. Um, what is your stance? What what's your what's what's your finger on the pulse for this conversation? Why do you think it's so? It's stirring up so much contention.
2: The business roundtable statement? Yes. Yeah. I think, um, again, it's what I was talking about earlier, you know, so there are some, I would say, fundamentalist capitalists out there, right? So the Milton Friedman School, uh, which still exists and a lot of people still subscribe to that. Uh, That business is only about uh, profit maximization, everything else is a distraction from that. So when the business roundtable says, no, you need to have a purpose separate from that, you need to take care of all your stakeholders, not just your shareholders, Uh, that uh, to them, you know, just uh, doesn't uh, ring true with their belief system. And so I think we're, you know, that's, we're in the middle of that transition, I think. It's kind of a paradigm shift that's happening, and there's going to be a lot of resistance. Anytime there's a new paradigm that's trying to upend an existing paradigm, you're going to see. You know, it's kind of like episode two of Star Wars. It's kind of the Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) It's like the uh, the Force Awakens. That's been going on for a while. The Force has been awakening, but then the Empire always strikes back, right? And then there's always a third chapter, which is. The Return of the Jedi is, is sort of the uh, the conclusion of that, right? I think we ought to stay with it. We go, we know we're going to encounter resistance, but uh, but this is indeed a better way, and this is the only way we can no longer afford that old way, because that has, in fact, caused too many of these so-called externalities, which are now adding up. So, you know, that's simply not tenable anymore. We will destroy ourselves and destroy the planet if we continue down that path. Mm-hmm. So we definitely need to change. The answer is not to get rid of capitalism, we don't need to decimate capitalism, it's the worst thing we could do, but we need to elevate it. Yes. You know, capitalism is a system, and like any other system, it functions depending on the consciousness of the user, right? and how we approach it, what's the purpose for it, and what are the uh, connections you know, between the elements of it. And when we change the purpose of any system, its behavior changes radically. And that's what we're trying to do, is change the purpose and the relationships within capitalism mm-hmm. to evolve it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you just just really do so beautifully in your book, Dr. Sissodia. But at least the two that I've read so far, um, and the chapter that you have in the, this current book, *The Healing Organization*, on evolving from empire to ministry, from conquering to caring, for me really really opened my eyes to just what you said before about the old and the new worlds. And it was very compelling how you how when when, when we when I read that, and I'm going to ask you to share some of it now, if you will. You're right. I mean, it's so these ideas, these old ideas that we've accepted from the military and conquering and such are so much a part of our vernacular today it's really hard to separate them so will you share for our listeners some of these historical hallmarks of empire and conquering that you do in the book so we can get present to what we're what we're dealing with here
2: yeah, so human history has been marked with, uh, first of all, uh, masculine energy and men dominating every aspect of society. In the absence of the sort of balancing feminine, that becomes hyper-masculine, that becomes, you know, as I said, domination, aggression. Uh, conquering, winning at all costs, and so forth. So we've seen that in uh, in, in in the political realm, of course, uh, we've seen that with the empires that have existed. All empires have existed essentially to fulfill and serve the ego of the emperor, right? Or somebody who wanted to go from being a king to an emperor, wanted to be called so and so the great, right? So there's an there's an un, insatiable appetite there for power and uh, and uh, and uh, riches that can never really be fulfilled. But in the pursuit of that, there's a countless untold amount of human suffering that has happened, right? So millions of people get killed and and lands get conquered and and the empire spreads, and then ultimately the whole thing falls apart once the emperor dies or is killed. And there's no real lasting uh, positive impact from that. There might be a few monuments and buildings or whatever. But that's the energy that has driven so much and uh, one of the interesting uh, stories that I did found, I happened to be in a part of India a few years ago, I was invited to speak in the state of Orissa, and I went to visit this site where the emperor Ashoka, who was literally the, the greatest emperor in the history of India, and maybe one of the greatest as defined by you know, how you measure empires, like the size and, and scale and growth of the of the uh, uh, sort of the span of where they uh, controlled, almost all of modern India and beyond, and that's the place where he fought his final battle to conquer the last remaining holdout kingdom, and make it part of his empire. And that's where he had his awakening, mm. as he watched, uh, as he walked on that battlefield the morning after the war had ended, 100,000 of his soldiers had died, and 100,000 on the other side, and millions of people were impacted and as he normally would have walked in triumph and on that day he saw the blood and the uh, you know dead bodies and some who were not yet dead and screaming in pain and the water, the blood was flowing uh, down a hill from this battlefield down to a river and that river was literally running red with all that blood in it and he had this deep awakening he said, my God, what am I doing? why am I causing all this suffering? you know, and he awakened that day and he basically committed that he would never cause any more suffering to any humans or animals again, and that he would do everything he could to prevent that in the world. He embraced Buddhism, and, you know, the whole next chapter of his life, where really he became, he went from being an empire to being a ministry. He took his army and basically created an army of missionaries, and he embraced Buddhism, and then he sent... Uh, emissaries all over Asia. That's why we have Buddhism in uh, in places so far from India. I mean, it originated there, and now it's much more prevalent in East Asia, right, In in Japan, and uh, in, in China and more, many other places. So Ashoka was responsible for that. He sent his own son and daughter as missionaries in other places. So that's an example of a shift From an empire mindset to a missionary mindset, right? One is spreading suffering and feeding the ego, and the other one is spreading healing and feeding your soul. Mm. That's really, I think the parallel that I'm trying to draw there is with the world of business. Today we don't have that many political empires. For the most part, that's died away. But we've replaced that with business empires. And the same energy drives the growth of business empires. There are founders there whose quest for more power, more control, more influence, you know, more impact is never ending and in the pursuit of that you know, they pursue growth for those reasons and in the process they cause enormous suffering in the companies that they acquire and how they then manage and run and lead those companies. I use the example of a Brazilian company called 3G Capital which over the last couple of decades has had a massive impact on the world and has acquired a whole bunch of companies and created these massive uh uh, large companies in the field of beer and and, uh, and uh, uh, fast food and a few other areas, processed foods and so forth. But the impact that they have on the lives of the people who work there and those uh, and the customers and others ultimately is very negative. And it causes great suffering. So when 3G Capital comes to town, you know that life is going to get very harsh and very difficult and very tough for all the employees of that company, that customers are not going to be as well served. You know, you're going to be creating products that are not necessarily good for their health and well-being, etc. So that's one way the empire building energy behind business growth, which is I would say the dominant energy out there, causes tremendous suffering. But there's another energy behind which the example that I use there is Barry Wemiller and Bob Chapman, who until now, I think he's bought about 112 companies that were dying and struggling and turned them around. And these were small manufacturing businesses in the industrial Midwest and now increasingly in Europe and other parts of the world. And they are not able to compete and they're not uh, able to uh, uh, be profitable. And he acquires them and turns them around, right? So a combination of good leadership and management, but also changing the culture and making caring for people the primary element of these businesses. As he says, we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people. Mm-hmm. Really, the same people, same business, same location, these businesses are now thriving. And those people are thriving, and their families and their children and their communities are all thriving. Right? And so Bob is on a mission to save, in a way, the future for these towns and for these people. And I was with him uh, recently, and he said, he's looking, I said, How, what are you up to now? He said, I'm looking at another 12 or so acquisitions this year. And I said, Bob, why do you need? You already have 108 or more companies, right? (laughs) Aren't you busy enough? Yeah, and you know, why aren't you enjoying your 26 grandchildren and uh, spending? And he said, I don't know how much time I have left. And on my deathbed, I will not be proud of the machines we built or the money I made. I'll be proud of the lives we touch. And before I die, I want to touch as many lives as possible. And I said, Bob, you're not growing a business. You're spreading a ministry. You know, the way a ministry should be, which is about spreading uh, you know, healing, right, and bringing hope uh, to people. So I think that's the energy that should motivate us to grow. Bob feels an obligation to grow, not because of his own needs, but because he wants to serve as many people as he can. And there are people now who are waiting, you know, for him to show up, right, because if Bob Chapman comes to town, that means, yeah, you have a future.
1: Mm-hmm. Good things are going to
2: happen. Right. I-
1: I want to just celebrate that really quick, Dr. Sisodia, um, to be a person like Bob Chapman. Um, I, I share that idea, that, that urgency, that I want to touch as many lives positively as I possibly can before I'm dropped into the ground. And I appreciate that he still feels that urgency despite what he's already done. And I hope our listeners are really getting present to just the, the possibility of the magnificence of the human spirit and what really can be done when our paradigms are shifted and our mental models are shifted more toward the positive of ministry. and care instead of empires and conquering so a beautiful example in him in fact you have several stories in your book that i we don't have time to go through all of them but i wanted to, for you to share a few more of them if you would dr susodia one of them that i really gravitated to was the story of nan kushari and and why he is such a great example of a ceo who is creating a healing organization will you share a little bit about him and what he's up to
2: Sure. So he is the uh, founder and CEO of a company called Jaipur Rugs, which is a company that produces uh, hand-woven carpets that are made by traditional artisans who have been practicing this craft for thousands of years. And in India, uh, a lot of these things are done, you know, it's organized by these the caste system, right? So you're kind of born into the weaver community. And those are the people who make these carpets. The unfortunate reality of India is that uh, there's a deep stigma associated with certain castes, and uh, some are considered untouchable, and that happens to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine the uh, life that you have if you're born into one of those families. Now imagine if you're born as a girl into one of those families. Now that's the sort of the lowest of the low that you can uh, uh, achieve, and, you know, or be born into in this in this life. You're born into an untouchable family and you're girl, which means you will get fed last and you will get educated at all if, you know, at last. I mean, after the boy's educated, most likely you won't get educated. And at an early age, you know, you will start taking care of your younger siblings and you will start to uh, cook and clean and then also start, to, when you're 10 years old, probably start to working on the carpets, right? And that's your life. And then you get married off uh, somewhere in your teens to another Weaver family Uh, with a husband who's probably alcoholic and abusive and there you're expected to do everything you were doing already and have children and in fact continue to make carpets uh, even more intensively, right? And so that's the life. You're illiterate, you're abused by your uh, in-laws, by your husband uh, and by the contractors who bring these jobs to these women in these villages. Promise them a certain amount of money if they complete it in a certain amount of time. Typically don't end up paying them that or paying a fraction of that and then abuse them verbally and physically and sexually in other ways. So that's kind of the reality of their horrific existence. And Nanda Kishore Chaudhary came into this world and, you know, he said, I want to serve these people. He said, they are the innocents. They have never harmed anybody. All they've done is take care of other people and met their needs and never asked for anything for themselves. And I want to serve them and I want to make their lives better. And so he started his company, uh, Jaipur Rugs, where they seek out these women and they treat them with respect and dignity. They pay them much better. They have much better working environment. Uh, they also have a foundation that educates them. Teaches them basic literacy and math skills and accounting skills. Encourages them to become sort of small entrepreneurs within the system, so they can then hire other women and and then sort of subcontract to the company, so they can become uh, you know uh, more uh, pro- more uh, prosperous than they than they were before. And so I saw an example of this when I went and visited and met a woman named Shanti, and that was the story that I told you was her story. And she had uh, five children and she was almost reduced to uh, starvation or close to starvation at times. She has to sell her jewelry or you know, to buy food or to pay some of the other workers that were working with her. And then they, she was discovered by Jaipur Ruggs and her life today is completely turned around. Uh, she has five children. The oldest has already graduated college. The second is in college. The third is in 11th. One is in 10th. One, a boy. The youngest boy is in 7th. This illiterate a penniless woman is now going to have five children graduate from college. Mm. She has a life of respect and dignity. When I met her, you know, she was laughing and, you know, and she said, if you came some years ago, I would be sitting on the floor with my head covered and I would not even be able to look at you. I don't today, she'll walk up to you and shake your hands and ask you in English, how are you? You know, uh, that's the transformation that's possible. And I asked her, how do you feel about Mr. Chaudhary? and what he's done in fact he said she just started crying she said i don't have the words you know she said to me he is he is much more than my mother and father to me he is god because he gave me life you know, i was alive but i didn't have a life and now i have a life my children have a life and their children will have a life right so that's the power and you multiply that by 40000 of these women that are part of their system Right, so the transformation is enormous and now they're also extending that to their customers. You know, They're saying that you can either go into a store and look at the cheapest carpet and just buy it and go home or you can buy one of our rugs and there'll be a barcode on the back and if you uh, point your phone at it, you'll get linked to a video of the family who made that and you'll see the impact that this has had on their lives and their children. And they said we're not selling you a carpet, we are sending you a family's blessings through this carpet. And so he said, we're going to heal our customers and we're going to give them you know sort of a sense of you know the way that they spend their money actually makes a difference in the lives of others. And that way we can start to spread this uh, this idea of healing throughout.
1: That is so beautiful, Dr. Sissodia. <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna work on not being not getting reduced to tears here because that was so beautiful. But the power, the uh, the alluring, beautiful power of that. Who wouldn't want to aspire for that? So, thank you for sharing that. Let me take us to our last break here. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Raj Sasodia an F.W. Olin Distinguished Professor of Global Business and Whole Foods Market Research Scholar in Conscious Capitalism at Babson College. He's the co-founder and co-chairman of Conscious Capitalism Inc. He is the co-author of conscious capitalism liberating the heroic spirit of business and wall street journal bestseller everybody matters he joins us today from boston massachusetts after the break we're going to talk about how to become a healing organization and a healing leader stay with us we'll be right back
4: Elyse Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, Please visit her at www.alisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose.
0: This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A L I S E, at elisecortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Dr. Raj Sisodia, the co-founder and co-chairman of Conscious Capitalism, Inc., and the author of the, the, The Healing Organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Dr. Sosodia, now that we have helped our listeners understand the opportunity here and, and present some really fantastic examples, the last thing I want to do is give them some actionable ways they can really start to change those, their, their mental models and work toward this idea of a healing organization. And so, I want to talk about, um, you, you mentioned three principles that distinguish a healing organization. It, I think it would be useful for, for us to be able to share those with our listeners. So, would you, would you
2: talk about those? Sure. There's uh, one thing I'd like to say before that, you know, that ultimately what this is about is liberating certain forces that already exist within the organization, mm. giving them permission to manifest. So I, so I say that the most uh, abundant resource on this planet is unexpressed human caring. Mm. You know, human beings have a need to care for for, for themselves, for each other, for causes, you know, for, for many things. And... Our organizations can either amplify or they can diminish our capacity for caring. In other words, they can become vehicles where we can express that or places where we need to suppress that. And traditionally, it's been the latter, right? Because we've thought about business as this place where we put on our mask and armor and go to battle and fight the competitors and you know win the battles and do all of that, right? <laughs> right. We're supposed to leave our humanity behind and showing any sign of compassion and caring, etc., is seen as weakness, that you can't win in the world if you're, if you're going to be operating in that. We have to be ruthless, right? Only the paranoid survive and dog eat dog and it's not personal, all of that. But in fact, as our work has all been all about this, that companies that are built on love and care are actually more, more powerful. If we can bring our full humanity to work, we will actually have far more powerful businesses. So there's all of this unexpressed caring that exists. In every company, all these people with a tremendous capacity for for caring and for doing things for each other. And then on the other side, you have all this silent suffering. You have people who are dealing with extraordinary things every day of their lives. Uh, You know, if there was a thought bubble that we could uh, make visible above everybody's head about what they're really worried about and thinking about, you know, it would break your heart when you realize what your colleagues are dealing with. And yet, for the most part, people are silent and they're just doing their work, right? They're stoic and they're heroic. And at the same time, it is eating away at them and ultimately impacting their health and uh, probably shortening their lives and so forth. So if we can allow these two things to come out of the corporate closet that are hidden away, the unexpressed caring and the silent suffering, if we create a culture where people are able to express you know, what they're dealing with and what they need, and people are also encouraged and able to help each other, right? I think that's going to go a long way. And that's something that has to be modeled at the top. Leaders have to really model that. Right. there's a Buddhist principle that we talk about when we write about Greystone Bakery, uh, where Bernie Glassman, you know, talked about bearing witness. Right, that we have to bear witness to the suffering that's out there. We have to be able to see what our people are, are struggling with within the company. And once you bear witness, and then loving action will naturally arise from that. So I think we need to create a culture in which that happens, right? where we surface and then allow people to meet each other's needs. You know, we have we have. We are here to care for each other, right? And business is a way for us to do that at scale. And we can do that for our customers, but we can also do that internally. I remember one of the experiences I had was this vision of, uh, there's a woman from India known as Amma, and she's the hugging saint. Out mm-hmm. of her, she goes around the world and basically hugs people. And people will stand in line for eight hours in the hot sun, just waiting for a hug. And she doesn't even say anything but they feel this surge of unconditional love from her, and they, many of them walk away in tears. And the message that I got, I got an image of all these people standing and waiting for this hug, and the message I got was all these people could be hugging each other. Mm-hmm. They have. They have what they're looking for. right? You don't need to go to another place and find it in some other person. right? And that's what we're all here to do. So I think that's a fundamental principle. Right? And Beyond that, in the book, we talk about uh, whereas other practices that we've kind of distilled from the twenty-five stories, you know, that we have, well, first of all, that we assume as a leader the moral responsibility to prevent and alleviate unnecessary suffering. Find out what is causing unnecessary suffering. Well, there's you know, rules and practices that we have, right? And there are many examples of each of these that we talk about in our stories. Uh, if we just have a hierarchical way of being, where you know people are abusing the people below them. Uh, Are we, in some ways, enabling abuse? Are we, in fact, settling for neutrality when we should be looking to have a positive impact? Are we just looking to do less harm or actually actively looking to do more good whether it comes to the environment, when it comes to communities, and so forth? I think another element here is to recognize that employees, in many ways, are the first stakeholder. That we have to... All stakeholders matter, obviously, and the well-being of everybody is important. But we have to start... Healing begins at home, and home is really the company itself and the employees. And there are a lot of companies that are noble or trying to or saying that they're doing noble things in the world with their purpose, etc. But they are places of suffering for their own employees. And that's not acceptable. So we really have to start at home, right, and treat the well-being of our people as inherently important. And then beyond that, their families, their children, uh, their parents even, all of their their own stakeholders are impacted uh, by that. And we look for creative opportunities to bring joy, play, and love to the workplace. One of my favorite stories in the book is when uh, Menlo Innovations, which aspires to create a workplace of joy, and they had a woman who was ending her maternity leave, but called in to say, my daycare arrangement fell apart and I can't come in. And the CEO said to her, well, just bring the baby. And she said, well, what do you mean? How are we going to work? She said, it doesn't matter. We'll, you know, we'll figure it out. You know, we have all have had children. We know what to do. So she did. And now you fast forward 10 years, and they've had about 26 uh, babies in that office <laughs> over the years. Right? And it's just become a practice. And it actually spreads more joy and reduces stress and so forth. And so there's all these opportunities, you know, that, that when we actually start to behave and think in a more human way, rather than always trying to be professional and corporate and whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, And then you have to uh, invest in healing as well. You you have to look at what are the needs that people have, make things available to them that are going to help them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually uh, healed, right? What kinds of things do they need? Going beyond what we typically offer through our wellness programs and employee assistance programs and so forth. There's a lot more that we could be doing.
1: Mm, agreed. Agreed. It's so easy to listen to you, Dr. Sodia. I sort of feel like I'm in this this melodic sort of dance when you speak. It's just, it's beautiful to hear you speak, talk and share from your, your heart and your soul. We're almost out of time, but I do want to give you an opportunity, if you would, just to say, you've got a, a whole chapter dedicated to helping people become healing leaders themselves. Can you just, and you've got 10 of those elements in that chapter, can you maybe just talk about one or two of them?
2: Yeah, I mean this kind of became personal for me because of the experience that I had writing the book. You know, I was full steam ahead and I had all my examples and stories and I was just going to churn it out, right? And I was told by three people that if you're writing a book about healing, uh, you need to actually slow down. And you need to look inward and you need to look at what needs to heal within you and work on yourself. And then try to write this book. You know, and uh, I said, I don't have time, I've got a book deadline. I said, no, book deadlines can be moved. You know, so I actually did delay the book by five months and experienced a number of things and got started on that journey. I mean, I guess we're all on that journey anyway, but for me it was an intensive period of exploring and, and looking at what needs healing. And and also you know, what we realize when you go through that is, <clears throat> that which is deeply personal is also completely universal.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: there are, there are insights that come out of that, which are not just specific to you, but actually relevant right, in a broader way. So I would say it starts there. To be a healing leader, you first have to turn the lens inward and, and look at your own life and your own traumas that you may have experienced, your own blind spots, uh, various experiences you may have had with your parents or in childhood or wherever it might be. And learn how you can heal and grow from those. Because if you don't, then you're going to actually inflict that same kind of suffering on others. You know, they say, hurt people, hurt people, right? Yes, yes. I heard uh, Edith Eva Eger, who was a uh, Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz, say, uh, uh, we are victims of victims, right? And she said, the greatest Nazi is inside us. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: We are our own tormentors, you know. So, all of that, there's just a tremendous need for that. I would say the vast majority of people are walking around with some level of PTSD-like symptoms. So it has to start there, right? And then once we do that, tapping into that, we have examples of that in the book, right? Eileen Fisher, why did she start a company? She says, I was an uncomfortable human being, so I wanted to make clothes that make people comfortable. You know, Danny Meyer struggled with his own family, and the uh, sort of uh, difficult environment in which he grew up and so he wanted to create a family environment at the workplace a healthy family system rather than the unhealthy family system that he came with Uh, Daniel Lubetsky of kind, you know, his father again a Holocaust survivor and he was inspired by him in terms of how he chose to live his life and so forth so I think we can alchemize our own suffering and then from that extract pearls of wisdom that we can then bring to that Uh, some of the other things we talk about you know you have to be true to yourself you have to know who you are understand yourself right
3: and yes
1: uh, and Dr. Sasodi, I'm so sorry to interrupt you I wish we had more time but we are we're out of time Um, last words and say 10 seconds that you'd like to share
2: Uh, I do believe at the end of this process what I thought was a radical idea is actually a fundamental belief that business is about healing you know this is not a sort of aberrational thought that we are put here to take care of each other, that in a free society, businesses are meant to serve us and meet our needs. And if we do that in the right way, we will actually be instruments of healing. We will reduce suffering, elevate joy, and promote healthy growth. But if we make it all about serving ourselves and meeting our needs and using other people, then we will create suffering. Mm -hmm. So business can be a place of healing for everybody who works there. It can be a source of healing for everyone we serve, our customers and our communities. And we can be a force for healing in society. We can show people, governments, other entities, how we work together despite our differences uh, when we have shared values and shared purpose and a deep commitment uh, to our own humanity.
1: Thank you, Dr. Sissodia, for a beautiful, beautiful share with with us on the the show today. Thank you so much for being my guest. Listeners, if you want to find out more about Dr. Sissodia, his various books, I think probably the easiest way to find him is his own personal website. It's rajsissodia.com, R-A-J-S-I-S-O-D-I-A, rajsissodia.com. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next week.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Alice Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.